BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Nothing's better than feeling comfortable in your own shoes. Maybe you're a parent raising a little rock star or a tech nomad working from anywhere. Allbirds wants you to be comfortable in your actual shoes, too. Their wool runners, pipers, and loungers are so cozy you might forget you're wearing them. And they're crafted from natural materials that tread lightly on our planet. So get comfortable in your shoes. Get to know the wool runners, pipers, and loungers at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. For a county that is home to the Westbury White Horse, the ancient feature once etched into the side of an Iron Age hill fort, and the ever-mystical prehistoric monument of Stonehenge, it can be hard to stand out in Wiltshire. Back in 1965, however, the town of Warminster gave it a good try. Perhaps the signs of it being an unusual place had always been there. It is said that Clay Hill, for example, a prominent vantage point just to the west of the town, was created by the devil after they dug up a mound of earth to bury the nearby town of Devizes. When the devil decided in the end not to bother, the mound was left behind. Some also say the golden ram of Satan, a supposed talisman that once belonged to the devil, is located inside, and that a triangular network of tunnels built for an unknown purpose lead from the cellar of a nearby tavern directly into the centre of it. Once, as writer Steve Dewey notes in his book, In Alien Heat, prominent Warminster journalist Arthur Shuttlewood wrote about the urban myth in a leading paper, only for the owner of the pub in question, the Royal Oak, to then contact him with a peculiar story of his own. There was indeed a tunnel located under the pub, he explained, but he'd never given it much thought until then, when not long after the article was published, He was apparently visited by a mysterious stranger. When the tall, thin man, with fanatical dark eyes as he described him, asked to see the tunnels, the landlord kindly led him to the basement to inspect them, at which point the man requested permission to excavate behind a wall that led to the tunnel. When the landlord asked why, 
The man replied simply that he needed access to Clay Hill to reclaim the golden ram that was buried underneath it. Ufologist John Cleary Baker had his own theory about the hill, believing that somehow an alien species had injected a homing beacon into it so their UFOs could be guided toward the area. It was an idea born out of the extraordinary series of events that occurred in and around Warminster in the mid-1960s. Events that without a doubt form one of the most bizarre and comprehensive UFO flaps in British history. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. It had just gone 6am on the morning of December 25th, 1965, when 33-year-old Marjorie Bai stepped out of her front door, her breath billowing about her in the chilly morning air. A boundless sea of stars glimmered in the sky above as she pulled her coat in and set off toward the church, the heels of her shoes echoing along the quiet, deserted streets as she went. When something caught her attention... Like a faint hum at first, it soon morphed into an ominous crackling noise coming from somewhere in the distance, as if a lorry were spreading grit nearby, only there were no vehicles on the road. In fact, Marjorie was completely alone on those empty streets. But as the sound drew nearer, she soon realised it wasn't coming from down the road. It was coming from somewhere above. Marjorie looked up expectantly as the sound moved closer, straining for a glimpse of whatever was making the noise, but saw only the stars above. Suddenly gripped by fear, Marjorie could only stand rooted to the spot as the strange menacing sound passed right over her head, a thunderous rattling as if the very air above her was being ripped apart, until finally it was gone and faded away into the night. With her legs trembling, Marjorie finally managed to place one foot in front of the other and hurried on to the church in desperate need of shelter. At almost exactly the same time, in another part of the town, Roger Rump, the town's postmaster, was sat having breakfast in his kitchen when he too became aware of a low hum. Seconds later, he was cowering in his own home when a terrifying clatter rang out from somewhere above the house, sounding, as he said later, as if the roof tiles were being rattled about and plucked off by some tremendous force. It was followed moments later by a strange scrambling sound, as if the same tiles were then being hurriedly slammed back into place. When the disturbance was over, Roger raced into the street, relieved to find his house was still intact but no sign of whatever could have possibly caused such a racket. And there he stood, in the quiet of the early morning, scratching his head, gazing up at the sky, under the soft light of all those many glimmering stars. Over the next few months, down at the offices of the Warminster Journal on Market Place, the phone didn't stop ringing, as more and more residents called in to report being terrorised by the strange ominous noise. Most calls were directed to Arthur Shuttlewood, a well-known local journalist at the time. Though originally from Essex, the 44-year-old Arthur had moved to Warminster in 1940 
to start work at the Wiltshire Times. Arthur moved to the Warminster Journal ten years later, and having once served on the town's Urban District Council, by 1965 he was well established as a much-liked and trusted member of the community. Arthur was immediately intrigued by the reports, and dedicated what time he could to collating as much testimony as possible. But as interesting as it all was, aside from the frequency and similarity of the reports, there was very little for him to sink his teeth into. But all that was about to change. At some time around 11pm on the night of March 28th, local resident Eric Payne left his girlfriend's house in Sutton Veeney, a small village about a mile to the south of Warminster, and set off on the short walk back to town. Leaving the pale sodium glow of the village streetlights, Eric stepped on into the dark country lane ahead as a thick fog began to roll in. And before long, it had completely surrounded him, even blotting out the sky above. As Eric ploughed on, he could just make out the hazy lights of the next village when he heard a whistling noise that steadily grew into a loud buzzing like the hum of electricity. Assuming it was coming from a nearby telegraph pole, Eric moved over to inspect it when he sensed a dimming of the moonlight. Looking up, he could just make out a small shadow moving through the fog above him. A vicious wind whipped across the road, and then came the noise. Like nuts and bolts rattling around a tin can, he later said, swirling all about him. Eric stood in terror as a strange sensation of heat and pins and needles began to build all over his body, followed by a strange pressure from above. Unable to resist it, Eric was horrified to find himself being pushed to the ground by an invisible force onto his hands and knees. With the shrill whine of that hideous noise buzzing in his ears, it was all he could do to drag himself to the side of the road and throw himself down into the grass. And then, as quickly as it had begun, it was gone. The deeply shocked and rattled Eric dragged himself to his feet and stood for a moment in a daze, staring in bemusement at the trees by the side of the road. Their tops had been completely flattened. It was Warminster resident Hilda Hebdige who finally saw it first. A cigar-shaped object in the sky over the forest of Longleat, just to the west of Warminster, that winked vivid shades of gold and yellow, as was recounted to Arthur Shuttlewood. Hilda had apparently seen the object three times before contacting a UFO group she knew, who in turn passed on the information to Arthur, each time hovering for a moment, she said, before shooting off into the blue. It was the beginning of Arthur's intense association with the phenomenon as he threw what weight he had behind the reports. Then on June 3rd, 1966, three separate sightings from completely unrelated sources. The Phillips family in Hatesbury see a brightly glowing cigar-shaped object hanging in the sky, while Dora and Harold Horlock, seeing it from their home in Warminster, described it as being like two red-hot pokers hanging downwards one on top of the other, with a black space in between them. And at Shearwater, a human-made lake about a mile south of Warminster, resident Colin Hampton was so distracted by the bizarre object he saw that he fell into the water. 
He was just one of 17 individuals at the lake that day who claimed to have seen it too. With the number of sightings continuing to grow throughout the summer, it was clear to Arthur that something very peculiar indeed was taking place in the area, with what had first started out as an ominous, unsettling sound, now having solidified into something else entirely. The locals had a name for it too, the Warminster Thing. And perhaps with good reason, it was starting to worry them. On the evening of August 17th, David Pinnell was at home on the Boreham Field housing estate when a huge explosion coming from the direction of Battlesbury to the north sent him running from his property. With the ground shaking beneath him, Pinnell got out just in time to see what he described as a monstrous flame in the sky, shaped like a light bulb that bathed the hills below in a soft orange light. Pinnell had watched mesmerised as this light faded to reveal another yellow light surrounded by a huge ball of smoke that floated down to the hills, cracking and hissing as it came into contact with the ground. Such occurrences weren't entirely irregular, since the British Army School of Infantry was located only 20 miles away. Pinnell was adamant, however, that not only did this come from a completely different direction, but it was unlike anything he'd seen before. Keen to investigate, Arthur Shuttlewood got in touch with all military installations within the vicinity, and all denied it was anything to do with them. By August 1966, with local nerves becoming increasingly frayed, Emlyn Rees, chairman of Warminster Urban District Council, took the extraordinary move to call a town hall meeting in the hope of getting to the bottom of it all. But with news of the Warminster thing beginning to spread far and wide, there was no sign of the phenomenon abating any time soon. On the day of the meeting, Rees arrived at the town hall, staggered to find upwards of 300 people, many from out of town, trying to cram inside the building, with many spilling out onto the streets. The event was so oversubscribed that Rees could barely get in himself. Inside, onlookers jostled for space alongside a dozen or so journalists, including a TV crew from a national news agency, as they all waited excitedly for the event to begin. Finally, with Rees in place, he welcomed up the first of six eyewitnesses to give their accounts of what they'd seen. Among them were Roger Rump, the town's postmaster, and Rachel Atwell, another Warminster resident who only a few weeks before had been stirred from sleep in the early hours of the morning by a deep droning sound. When she opened her eyes, she was shocked to find the room was shaking. Following the sound to the window, she looked out to see a bright dome-shaped object hanging in the sky, about 200 yards away above a range of hills. She watched it, she said, shaking like a leaf for a good 25 minutes before it and the noise disappeared, leaving her with the feeling of a tight band of steel around her forehead and a pounding in her ears. The witnesses were joined by Dr John Cleary Baker, evaluating officer of the British UFO Research Association, and Dr E.R. Dole, chairman of the National UFO Association. Both were quick to put the crowd at ease, imploring that they should not feel afraid, but rather privileged to be at the centre of such an extraordinary event. Both men were convinced the town were dealing with 
As Cleary Baker put it, the manifestation of an advanced technology undoubtedly piloted by alien beings. At one point, Councillor Rees stopped proceedings when he was given a telegram to read out. Investigations completed. Stop. Invasion fears are unfounded. Stop. The message had been sent by a Doctor Who. One man who didn't attend the meeting was local resident David Holton, an amateur geologist. While carrying out his own investigations along 5 Ash Lane, a narrow road that ran through a small patch of woodland just south of Warminster, Holton discovered a flock of dead pigeons scattered across the road. The birds, according to Holton, had died at the same time as one of the occurrences of the terrifying noise had been heard, causing him to speculate that they'd been killed by the sonic interference. Holton also claimed to have amassed evidence of up to 200 separate sightings and accounts of the Warminster thing, but later burnt the dossier to preserve the identity of his sources. Councillor Reese's ultimate hope was that his meeting might bring an end to the Warminster thing. In reality, it did anything but. Not least because only two weeks later, someone finally got a picture of it. This year I'm refocusing on what it means to take care of myself and it couldn't be easier than with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers delicious food all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It takes literally minutes to prepare and I never have to think twice if the food I'm eating is good for me. Daily Harvest works directly with organic farms to freeze their ingredients right on the farm at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. They never use preservatives, added sugar or artificial anything. Personally, I'm a big fan of the tart cherry and raspberry smoothies, which are the perfect start to the day. With Daily Harvest, there's something for any time. Smoothies for breakfast, crisp flatbreads for lunch or dinner, and food that's perfect for cooler weather too, like their perfectly roasted harvest bowls and soups. With Daily Harvest, I'm enjoying undeniably delicious, clean food without any of the prep. And whether you're looking to have your daily dose of fruits and veggies, or just want to have a little more time back on your hands, you can too. Get started today. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code UNEXPLAINED to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code UNEXPLAINED for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. Arthur was in the offices at work when he received the call. It was a young man from Warminster in possession of an incredible photograph. The man, Gordon Faulkner, was walking out of his house a few days previously, carrying a camera he was planning to give to his sister, when he spotted it. What he first took to be a plane, shooting across the sky, but completely silent. Without thinking, he grabbed the camera and started to shoot. It was only when the photo was developed, however, that he saw clearly it was in fact a saucer-shaped object. When Arthur saw the picture for himself, he was in no doubt as to what it was. Finally, there was irrefutable proof. Without delay, he travelled immediately to the offices of national newspaper, the Daily Mirror. They published it the following day, along with Arthur's supporting article, the biggest scoop of his career. And then, four days later, something else. Around midnight on a quiet stretch of the A38 road, 32-year-old Kenneth Kimberley is driving home from Bristol, when he spots a patch of mist up ahead. Approaching at speed, 
The moment he enters it, the engine and lights cut out suddenly, bringing the car to a quick stop by the side of the road. Sitting alone in the pitch black, a bemused Kenneth tries the engine again unsuccessfully for the third time when the car is suddenly bathed in light from above. Kenneth is trying to see where the light is coming from when he's bombarded by a terrifying shrill and guttural roar like a jet engine. With the back of the car now beginning to vibrate, Kenneth pushes open the door and leaps out, but no sooner has he stepped into the road, the lights and noise completely disappear, leaving him standing alone and trembling in the dark, silent night. On September 26th, Arthur Shuttlewood was at home when he received a phone call from a mystery caller wanting to discuss the sightings with him directly. When Arthur suggested they meet at the office of the Warminster Journal, the caller declined, saying they needed to see him right away. The caller's name, as Shuttlewood would later claim, was Khan, and they had come here from the planet Ainstria. Assuming it, of course, to be a hoax, Shuttlewood joked that if they were really who they said they were, he would like to meet them in person. So it was with huge surprise when only moments later there was a loud knock at the door. Opening it, Arthur was greeted by the apparent Khan, who, although bearing a striking resemblance to a human being, nonetheless had unusually small pupils and oddly bluish cheeks and lips. As Shuttlewood later wrote, the supposed visitor came with a warning that he wished Arthur to relay to the human race that if humanity didn't change its ways immediately, it would cause irreversible destruction to itself and the planet. When the visitor made their goodbyes after ten minutes, Shuttlewood claimed he traced the original call back to a location near Boreham Field, close to a nearby army barracks. According to Shuttlewood, he continued to field calls from a number of representatives of the planet of Ainstria throughout September and October of 1965, never entirely sure if it had been a hoax or not. But what Shuttlewood wanted more than anything else was to see the thing for himself, and he wouldn't have long to wait. On the afternoon of September 18th, Arthur was at home finishing an article about famed lion tamer Mary Chippenfield, when he went upstairs to grab a notebook from his office. Stepping into the room, he was distracted by something outside the window, hovering under the clouds. A white, cigar-shaped object, with a slight domed protrusion, the colour of burned amber. Arthur called down to his wife to bring up his film camera, only to remember he was alone in the house at the time. Returning to the room moments later, with camera in hand, relieved to find the object was still there, he quickly flipped off the lens cap and proceeded to film it. But as soon as he pressed record, as Arthur would later recall, the camera began stuttering and jumping about in his hands. Then a sharp pain gripped the entire left side of his body, shooting up his arm and face. When he was finally able to try again, the object had gone. Opening the camera up, he found the film uselessly coiled up inside, Hoping he might have caught something nonetheless, he sent it away to be processed. Just over 24 feet of it was untouched, while the other 8 or so inches were completely overexposed. <laughs> 
In the weeks following this apparent sighting, Shuttlewood claimed he suffered from a partial paralysis of the left side of his body and a weeping eye that lasted two months. A few miles away on the night of October 7th, Annabel Randall, a confidential clerk for the War Department, was driving with her fiancé John Plowman towards Stockton from Warminster. It had just gone 11.30pm as the couple rounded the curve onto a railway bridge when Annabel gasped at the sight of what looked like a man slumped against the pavement with his legs dangling into the road. Pressing hard on the brakes, Annabel brought the car to a screeching halt. As she took a moment to collect herself, John jumped out and sprinted back to the bridge, only to find it completely deserted. Having made a quick search of the area and finding nothing untoward, a greatly relieved John returned to the car and the couple continued on their way. Returning later from the opposite direction, Annabelle was approaching the bridge for a second time that night when she was distracted by the glow of a large orange ball-shaped object to her right moving close to where the rail tracks trailed off. Just then, her car engine began to sputter as the headlights flickered and dimmed. With the light growing brighter, Annabelle realised with horror that it was now moving quickly toward her. Squinting through the glare, she fought hard to stop the car from careening off the road when another object up ahead spun suddenly into her path. But as she braced for impact, The car's engine cut out altogether, slowing the car down just in time. Annabelle could only watch in complete disbelief as the second object flew off quickly to the right, shooting red and blue sparks as it went, and leaving in its wake what appeared to be two people standing still in the middle of the road. As she recounted later, they seemed to be dressed in dark, tight-fitting clothes, like scuba divers. Finding her engine was then working properly again. Annabelle was just able to avoid hitting the figures as she sped off back into the night, relieved to put the bizarre episode behind her. Over the next few years, Warminster's reputation as a hotbed of UFO activity, championed by the likes of Arthur Shuttlewood, only continued to grow with no let-up in the rate of sightings. In May 1967, Shuttlewood published a book, The Warminster Mystery, Astounding UFO Sightings, which provided a comprehensive list of all known sightings up to that point. By then, the town had become inundated with skywatchers eager to catch a glimpse of the thing, often camping out at the top of Cradle and Clay Hills for days on end. On one night in 1966, a team of enthusiasts led by Dr. John Cleary Baker even attempted to contact the apparent visitors using storm lanterns in the shape of a triangle in an effort to help guide them toward the area. The sightings were so extensive that in 1971, local UFO enthusiast Ken Rogers began publishing Warminster's very own UFO newsletter. This was followed in late 1975 by the opening of a dedicated UFO research centre run by wife and husband team Jane and Peter Paget called The Fountain Centre, which also published its own newsletter. But as the years went by, eventually the sightings would start to dwindle, and with them, so too did the town's enthusiasm for any talk of the Warminster thing. And before long, 
It was little more than a bizarre footnote in the memories of those who were there at the time. Shuttlewood published two further books on the subject and joined the editorial team of the Fountain Centre's newsletter for a short time in 1976, before leaving shortly after. He died in Warminster in 1996. Back in 1965, Roger Hooton, 23 at the time, was a print worker employed by the same printing press that published the Warminster Journal. 29 years later, in 1994, he finally came clean. The apparent photo of the UFO taken by Gordon Faulkner, so heralded by Arthur Shuttleworth, and one that turned a minor local story into intense national news, was a fake. He and his friend Gordon had made it as a practical joke that too quickly got out of hand. After seeing it published in a national newspaper, he and Gordon had just been too scared at the time to admit the truth. Then, in 2005, amateur geologist David Holton also came clean. His story about pigeons mysteriously killed by sonic interference had also been fabricated. And yet, there remained so many events and sightings even before Gordon Faulkner's photograph was published. One individual who was there at the time, Kevin Goodman, maintains a fantastic archive relating to the period, which you can find at ufo-warminster.co.uk. As he put it simply in a 2010 article on the subject, all I can say is this, something strange did happen there. I know, for a time, I was part of it. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean smith Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls 
offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.